All right, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. This is the the show after the show, book club, book club. And joining me tonight, as uh, we we have done the last couple. Oh, actually, no. This is only the second night. Charlie Robinson is here. What is going on, Charlie? How you feeling? Excited to be at the after party, for dude, sure. Dude, yeah. you know the you know that's the other thing here too. We've done so much reading of this book. The fact that this is just the end of chapter three is just blows. It's just so weird. I know it's a book. It sneaks up on you. You know, like if somebody were to describe it, it's not action packed. It's not. You're not at the edge of your seat. It's just. It's just great. Yes. Though. You know, it doesn't have to, I mean, it doesn't need the big budget and it's, it's the story that carries it. It doesn't need all the uh, unnecessaries. So yeah, I've enjoyed it a, a great deal. I, I have too. And it, it's going to be a lot more of, I, I can't help, but and I'm, I'm not, I want it, I always be critical about things. If things confuse me, I write it down. If I, there's something that just doesn't jive with me, if I don't, if I don't relate to the decision making of a character, I'm always very honest about that stuff. But I can't help but gush over this bu- this book so far. And I know. We've got a great we got a great uh, crowd that's uh, that's coming in right now, and I just want to get some I don't know some general thoughts. General thoughts on Chapter 3, Moonlight Graham, The Life and Times of Moonlight Graham. Now, this is, uh, Charlie, this is when Ray and Jerry, that's they're on a first-name basis. They are very cozy together now. They are going off to follow the voice. They're following the voice's instruction to go find Moonlight Graham in Chisholm, Minnesota. And um, and it turns into a just a a really great great uh, uh, journey to this small town to learn about the history of the town to interview everybody who knew Moonlight Graham and uh, th- this is where you can see a lot more differences in the book than with the film um, and I just wanted to see what stood out for you and then we'll go through some of my notes and then we'll go into the the thread. Good old fashioned road trip. Oh yeah, you know it's a good road trip. Uh, movie book you know whatever back in there so we're talking about the 70s we're gonna we're just gonna go get into an adventure we don't know where we're, we know where we're going we don't know what we're going to experience along the way we don't actually even know what we're going to do when we get there we have a rough outline but we'll figure it out you know we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get let's get in the car and let's go jerry didn't even want to go into his house because he knew by going to my house, it might make it all go away. Yep. And so he, he instinctively he knew. I gotta. I just. I gotta go. You. You want to go? Go inside. Grab a bag of stuff. No. Let's just go. Let's go. You know the idea of that is crazy to me, but but it's but it's also. It's. It's. Let's go get into an adventure, man. Let's go see. Let's go see what this is all about. It's like Jerry has this realization towards the end of where we where we stopped the last time. He has this realization. Oh, this guy is who's kidnapped me, allegedly. You know, he's not crazy. He's not as crazy. I hear it now too. So it it compelled this this guy Ray to just drive from Iowa to find me. This you know 
reclusive writer, right? So, and now I hear the voice. So now I'm in, you know, and it, it's like, it, it just like he, he was abducted himself mm-hmm. by the, by the story, by the, by the thought, by the idea of it all. And as a writer, which of course Jerry is, he'd been out of it for a while. And this was like an, an, a, a, a real on-ramp for him to, to get back out there and, and, and see the world, you know, and, and well, you knew to like the way Holden Caulfield did, you know, like that he wrote about, like, let's just get out there and go. I get yeah, it, it. Absolutely. And when you say, when you brought up his unwillingness to go back into the house, there's number of times in chapter three where both characters don't want to do anything that they believe is going to disrupt the magic. Because they are there, it's almost like they're walking a tightrope where you you literally just have to. You know, in uh, in Ego Montoya in um, in Princess Bride, he is he's in the forest and he's looking so so badly. They're looking for the pit of despair. They need to go and they have to save Wesley. And he just finally just asks the sword, his father's sword, guide me, father, guide me. He closes his eyes and he just lets the sword, he falls, falls, and he just hits into a tree. And with the sword, he's like, oh, I feel like they're just, they're just closing their eyes and letting the magic sword guide them right now. Because if they do anything to go against the grain, poof, it could be like popping a bubble. And, uh, and it's always, the magic is always, as far as his writing I love when he when he talks about this, uh, you know, you, you can see that Ray wants him to get into writing a little bit more and talking about it. But he said this writing is different. Salinger insists other people get into occupations by accident or by design. But writers are born. We have to write. I have to write. I could work at selling motels or slopping hogs for 50 years. But if someone asked my occupation, I'd say writer, even if I'd never sold a word. Writers write. Other people talk. And um, so I, I like that because, you know, it's not only the, the author, W.P. Kinsella, speaking on behalf of not only Salinger, but himself. Uh, you know that yeah. this, is he, this is him speaking through the character he created for Salinger to talk about what he feels about writing. And you can tell that this is a, I mean, it's, it's, uh, he's very good at it. But, you know, one thing here is when they open up, they know, you know, what does this mean? This fellow Graham, is he's dead, isn't he? Yes, he is. So you know off the bat, whatever they're going to find is going to be magic. There is going to be something that helps them bridge the gap between the present and the past. Because how the hell else are they going to find anything about this guy? There is no internet. You know, there is no, this is all analog investigative, investigative you know, adventurism. Yeah. So I have more, but I'll just keep going with you. Well, he, when when they, you know, when Jerry refuses to go into the house because he doesn't want this thing to end, and and Ray is, you know, is is behaving in in similar fashion where it's like they they just don't want to do anything to, you know, for fear that they're going to jinx themselves. How very baseball of them, you know what I mean? That's such a baseball quality. It, yeah. it, it, it more so than football or basketball. Or baseball players get obsessed with superstitions you know i mean mike hargrove the human rain delay you remember him in the batter's box he had to do 18 different things in order to get ready for every at bat so they're they're very superstitious they they don't like when things are going well 
don't mess with them. When the guy's got a no-hitter, nobody talks to him. You know, when you so the idea that you're going to that you're going to alter something. Oh, I mean, the baseball player in you would say, "Don't ever do that. Yeah, don't do don't that. You're going to just you're going to screw the whole thing up. Mind your own damn business. You know, yeah. it's just like don't screw it." Um, Let's see here. Now this now this whole thing here, when they're starting to go from hotel to hotel and everything, and and Ray sometimes throws uh, Salinger into the mix and says, you know, this is uh, J D. Salinger, right? And then Salinger starts loosening up, and he's he's okay with people knowing who he is. Uh, is it true that Salinger worked for Jack Kennedy? I did not know this. Uh, is that just a is that a joke? Wait, is huh? it, well, right here. Know. They say, yeah, uh, it says the clerk, oh, this is J.D. Salinger, I say, pointing to Jerry, as if he were a trophy I was delivering. Yeah, says the clerk, her face coming alive, really? She looked at both of us for the first time, smiling. It's a pleasure to meet you, she extended her right hand. You used to work for Kennedy, right? Indeed I did, said Jerry, his eyes flashing across a mind, mischief rearranging the kindly lines of his face to keep from laughing as he turns away. So does that is that, is that a joke, or I, I didn't know. I don't. I'm, I'm assuming maybe he did. Maybe he was a. I don't know, maybe he was a writer for him. Or a speechwriter. Anybody something. in the chat room? If anybody in the chat room can can uh, confirm whether or not, because I didn't go and take the time to do it. I, um, I didn't have time. Uh, I just kept reading. But um, but now we start piecing together. Moon Moonlight Graham. Um, mm-hmm. You start seeing here. This one when they get to the to. Uh, they start. They go over to Cooperstown. They find his line in there. They ask him, "What is this?" Um, they after the question, "If you ever had to do, if you would do it all over again, would you play professional baseball?" He scrawled an emphatic yes. So you have these little times of things that he hit the length of his residence in Chisholm, Minnesota, is listed as fifty years. But most interesting of, of uh, interesting of all, on the bottom of the line form is signed Doctor. A. W. Graham. So he's a doctor. They're learning more and more about him. Um, then we start getting into more. Where's this? Uh, we learn about his wonderful wife and pretty much all the all of the, uh, the the stories from the town that they're collecting. It's just about how this is one of the most selfless men and down to earth men you'd ever have. He's buying children glasses and giving people candy and uh, paying off uh, major debts and he's just. He never leaves this small town. He be, pretty much becomes a staple in the town. Yeah. Um, and when they're in Cooperstown, they're talking about... They're talking, I had a flashback myself, because they're talking about Lena Blackburn's mud that you rub on baseballs. And what's funny about that, I mean, the last time we... Last week when we talked about this, I mentioned that I was an intern for the Colorado Rockies, the lowest guy on the totem pole. One of my many tasks when I wasn't washing guys' jock straps for free, I was taking cases of baseballs. They had cases of them. I mean, they had hundreds of cases, but they just stacked them up. And I would have a can, like a paint can next to me, and it was called Mississippi Mud. I, that's, what, that's what I knew. Lena Lena Blackburn's mud and I would sit there and dip my fingers in it and rub baseballs and put them back Gra- grab a new one rub it down with the mud and put it back and so when Wait I a second. This, so, I like, so Mississippi mud is actually, Mississippi mud is actually from New England 
I, thought, I don't know if it's from New England, but it but it's it's in a can that just says Mississippi. I don't know. It's probably yeah. It's probably not from Mississippi, but no. Well, see, that's my thing. I always thought that it was sourced from Mississippi, and then, maybe it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I saw the the Blackburn mud in here. It was somewhere from North. I mean, New Hampshire or something like that. Um, yeah. So I so I, I again I'll, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that there's somebody that rubbed those balls down. Um, but uh, I love that little part over there where uh, somebody got Salinger's work wrong, uh, took him for a Truman Capote, and uh, he yeah. shrunk back in like horror. I thought that was that was fantastic. But now they're in Chisholm, and they're looking for more. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, wonderful memorial that they wrote. They found the obituary for for Moonlight Graham. The obituary was very nice. I will uh, I will leave that out. But. Um, but then we get into where is it, Alicia? A little the, the songs and the and the the thoughts of Alicia. Alicia did like blue. Doc used to buy hats for her, most always blue ones with lots of flowers on them. I think the stores used to order in blue hats because they knew Doc would buy them. When they tore down the old school after Doc retired, they found a dozen, a half dozen hat boxes in the closet with brand new hats in them. I wonder if anybody ever told Alicia it would tickle her to know if she were still alive. Um, so little things like that make characters come to life. That's mm-hmm. those are very important. Yeah, what, a, what a nice guy, huh? You know, he he, he does this thing. Yeah, and of course, they earlier they mentioned his his uh, his buying of glasses for kids and, and all of the charitable work that he did. So they're they're painting him as this really great guy in a small town who could have had opportunities in Rochester, could have left, could have gone all, could have gone anywhere really, and worked. And he chose to stay in this town. And I think that says a lot about a person. Uh, You know, I mean, when you've got opportunities like he had and you choose to stay in one place like like Chisholm and and because you know that they need you and and people said, oh, you could have made more money somewhere else. He says, it's the best place in the world. I I couldn't live anywhere else. I love it here. And and, and he and of course, he he wound up there almost in an accident, you know, wound up uh, coming to the to the town and 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 staying there and and loving it and staying for 50 years and being known as the guy that uh gives out candy to everybody he's he's always got candy he's got a bunch of pockets in his jacket and there's always candy in one and of them, silver you know? so, candy silver so yeah he's a stacker too good for him i i know <laughs> i know well you know you know you're talking about the uh the, the this is i mean 1905 when he played for the the I think it was in 1909 that he made his way to Chisholm. Yeah. So, I mean, you still got four years before that terrible Federal Reserve comes into being. So that's, that's a... Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. All pretty much living on the frontier. There's a couple of things. As I'm, I'm Now I'm on page 134. Uh, a couple of things I think are really nice. Here is a... Well, here's a, a clip here from uh, bef- between Ray and Salinger. And let me see. He reads this excerpt from a fan letter that was written to him. And he's kind of like saying, you know, he's just going off and kind of being a little bit more down, not so much downtrodden, but doesn't really believe that his writing is, is as important as people, as, as uh, Ray makes it out. And he reads the fan letter to him from 1957. 
He says, you ever seen that before? I ask. No, said Salinger. It's an excerpt from a fan letter to you. I cut it out of the Saturday Evening Post in 1957, and I've carried it with me ever since. How can you not publish when people love you so? But Salinger only smiles sadly and continues to shake his head. And I took that as another example because, you know, as, as it says right on the back of the cover here, the mysterious world, uh, the words of an Iowa baseball announcer, lead Ray Kinsella to carve a baseball diamond in his car- cornfield in honor of his hero, the baseball legend, Shoeless Joe Jackson. This is a book not so much about baseball as it is about dreams, magic, life, and what is quintessentially American, said the Philadelphia Inquirer. And over here is another one of those those uh, lessons, I think, um, Charlie, because this is a lesson to everybody about you know, uh, how it's so hard uh, to see the forest for the trees, and it's very bad and very um, difficult for us to uh, assess our worth from time to time, you know, and uh, I I love this. Every every once in a while, you need an outside perspective to really get you out of that that limited scope of reference. For sure. And in the page before, he says, it's a sad time when the world won't listen to stories about good men. It's one of the reasons I don't publish anymore. And I thought that was an interesting take that he was saying, you know, it's just the, the times have changed. They only want to hear about different de- death and destruction or whatnot, or, or th- stories about guys doing bad things. They don't want to hear about good men. So I stopped writing. It was a very, um, I don't know, it, it's sad and, and not true, of course. But but again, goes goes to his perspective of of himself, he or or, or his work, and he's oh well, this they don't want this. But he doesn't know how people even feel about him. I know people love him, right? But he but he only his only interaction is the press, or you know that show up at his house and drive him insane. And now in, in this chapter, once his son thinks he's dead, uh, they show up at his house. You know, so he's like you know, so his relationship with the general public is not very good but it's because his relationship is dealing with the media the enemy of humanity of Always. course as we both know <laughs> so, although back then maybe they were just a little bit annoying uh, so. yeah they're probably not as, as as awful as they are now now it's just you know back then it was like you know guys just knocking on your window and flashing you know the big bulb flash yeah. cameras in your in your in your window uh, but now it's TMZ you know and, and that whole thing so so this is this is J.B. Salinger dealing with the TMZ of his day and, and it making him insane, you know, driving him up to the point where he says they they don't even want to listen to stories about good people anymore. I mean, so why why bother? And yeah. it's just, and 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 he needs to be recharged. Of course, he needs to get out there and and I think meet some some more good men because then I think he'll realize that that in fact. They're very much worthy of writing stories about them, and that the public will read them. But uh, you know, he's in a he's in a jaded place right now, and that happens to everyone. But 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 the magic is building. I mean, he, here's mm. at the end. Here's the next page. Here's one thirty-five. Uh, here in Chisholm, we take the memories we unearth and carry them back to the motel, recording them, storing them until we feel the precious moving, the voices whispering, growing in momentum like a breeze turning into a wind. What's going to happen, says Jerry. He brushes his hand across the seat of the chair before he sits down. Something, I say, for all, for that is all I know. We are mixing a cocktail of memories and history and love and imagination. Now we must wait and see what effect it will have on us. I mean, that, 
is just like every time this this just there's so many things that carry you from one point to the next with this book so far and just when you the momentum never slows down but this just it it's almost like you get a recharge again you know that you are actually putting together an unseen concoction of ingredients that is going to take you to a magical place and then the next page on uh, 137 we get that magic walk at night which this is so much more deep and descriptive and amazing than in in the movie in the movie it's a it's a shorter exchange this walk um the time travel aspect of this interaction is so much more um understanding what's happening here that Ray is sent back. He goes on a walk. He just something he had to get up in the middle of the night. He left uh, Jerry behind in the the motel, and he wanted to go for a night stroll. And he knew he knew that the man that he felt walking out in front of him with his his umbrella it was Moonlight Graham. And uh, and then he calls out to him. He says Moonlight Graham. And then of course we get almost like that Obi Wan Kenobi moment. Like oh that's a that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. And um, and I love this. And he and he's just talking about. He just talks about baseball with him. And he just tries to get in and wondering everything he knew. I mean, what about that one at bat that you never got? About that one inning that you had in the in the outfield? What was it all about for you? He's trying to get to what the hell the next step in this is. And and um, and, and I'm loving how in this he he finds out that what is it 1955. I think it's not. Yeah, he he wants to find out the year, but he doesn't want to let them let him know that he's oh, yeah. a time traveler. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He asked about the world. It was a great World Series, uh, huh? You know, to get him to sort of talk about for him for for Doc Graham to say, yeah, between the Boston Braves and the or you know what I mean, the Boston Red Sox and the whoever. So he could tell it like in his mind. Oh, I know what year it is because he didn't want to ask him. Right. Like, Hey, by the way, what year are we in? Because then he'll he'll know that he's insane. So he can't do that. He has to be sneaky about it. So he tries to have that conversation about the World Series with him, which was smart, I thought. And then looks around when they finally move the conversation elsewhere or back to his office. He's able to kind of look around and confirm. Okay, yeah, I know where I am. But he 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 keeps his he Ray keeps his cool when he recognizes that he's sort of moved into a different time frame he could have come completely unraveled and and been you know just unable to deal with the the reality of the situation but he stayed focused and he and he and he didn't let that freak him out that he'd gone back in time 25 years and was having a conversation and he was also cognizant of not mentioning things that would give away the fact that he was from essentially the future. Didn't want to talk about um, Don Larson's perfect game because it hadn't happened yet. That was going to happen. He mentions, you know, like, oh, I can't say that. Um, and he didn't want to mention something else about, wasn't Cooperstown, was it? It was something about, oh, it was a Baseball America Journal or something like that. It hadn't been created yet. So he, he started, it, he mentions that it halfway was the, through. It was a turnstile. 
the turnstile at the polo ground. Oh, the turnstile. Yeah, yeah. And then realizes, uh, well, you know, it was one of the turnstiles that they had, and they thought it was. You know. one so of the he original. sort of talks his way out of, but just keeps rambling like a like a lunatic who's who's almost caught in a lie, but he keeps himself together. And does a pretty good. I'll tell you, he does a pretty good job for not being the writer, for not being the interviewer. He does a pretty good job of 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 talking to to Doc and keep you know keeping him engaged. And while he probes and tries to figure out what am I, why am I sent to find this guy? What is it that this guy needs from me, or I need from him? to make this thing work and and it was just an it was interesting how he went about doing that figuring out the year and figuring out everything in the office and sort of looking for clues it was a very uh uh usual suspects moment when he's in that he's in that office with him and i'm thinking he's looking around at everything and i'm having like a kevin spacey kaiser sose moment you know where he's like in my mind he's examining everything on the walls to try and figure out and try and read more into this story and he's only got like a set amount of time to do it well graham definitely knows he's up to something so uh, you know especially he's you know especially at the end he said and if you were a man who can get me another shot you know, it, 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 that's one of those things where you need to know that there is something, even on Graham's end, you can't be totally fooled by that, uh, the, the you can't be totally fooled by the casual nature of this conversation, because what he's talking about is not a, an opportunity for you as an as a 75-year-old man to go and check out a, you know, a an exhibit at a museum. He's talking about giving you a chance to play baseball again, which means there needs to be a way to make you young again. So, um, but, you know, there's the, there, here he is, you have two worlds colliding, two times colliding, I love the description of their walk here. He said, as we walk, I note subtle differences in the buildings and the sidewalks. Some of the newer houses on 2nd Street appear to have been replaced by older ones. There are business signs along Lake Street that weren't there yesterday. Can it be that I am the one who has crossed some magical line between fantasy and reality? That it is Doc who is on solid turf and I who have stepped into the past as effortlessly as chasing a butterfly across a meadow. And... Uh, yes, that's exactly what happened. And I, I love it because, let me see here. Friday, what does this say? Out of, oh yeah, yeah, he's trying to find out the year that it was. We have that, and he's trying to figure out now here too, all right, well, I'm here talking to the guy I'm supposed to. I have now traversed, and I've been able to, uh, you know, go beyond time and space, and I'm sitting down with this man. For some reason, he's got, he's got to be given a chance. And what I've created back in Iowa is definitely the place where he could have that chance. But what does it still all mean? Was this really all about one man who had a half an inning at the Polo Grounds versus the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1905? When, as the interview or this this interview that he's having with Moonlight Graham goes on it becomes very, very apparent that he is totally fine with the way that his life turned out. That he said, he says over here, you know, so it's almost like, well, well is this really, is, is Graham really the person? I mean, obviously he's a part of the, the story, he's a part of the journey, but is he really the person that they went out to find? And is it really just because he had to have that one at bat? That's what this is really all been about. Um, 
Who wants to sit over here? That's a tall order, young fellow. Maybe you should try asking me a straight question. So they wanted to ask, what was it like to see your dreams float away? Only just to, to get that close. He says, well, it's not so much what I want to ask you. I want to get, uh, get a feel for. Uh, if someone asks, you can say, I played for the New York Giants. Willie Mays or Christy Mathewson could say the same, but they'd have a very different meaning. What was it like to brush against fame like a stranger hurrying past in a crowd? He said, I didn't think much of it at the time. Hardly anybody recognizes the most, the most significant moments of their life at the time that they happen. I figured there'd be plenty of more days. I always told myself I was going to crack the lineup, but looking back, I can see that I knew. I knew that even if I trotted out in right field that afternoon in 1905, that I was a minor leaguer in a major league park, that I was one step too slow on the bases and a split second too slow with the bat, and you don't admit something like that to yourself when you're young and full of hope so right there it should be getting becoming apparent to Ray this is not a guy who uh, you know I mean this is a guy who just like so many other tens of thousands of players who never got there they just weren't good enough but he still got to smell the grass and he's okay with that because then in the next time where was it um, uh, let me see here Let's see. Why do you say, I asked, spreading the hands? Uh, why do you? Why did you stay, I asked, spreading my hands to show I mean the school, the town, the state. You could have gone anywhere. Doc looked puzzled. My partner checked the town records, I go on. You don't even make $500 a month. And he says, I got a little practice after hours. But you could have been wealthy. You could have lived in a big city. And then Graham says, this is my favorite place in the whole world. I don't think I have to tell you what that means. You look like the kind of fellow who has a favorite place. Uh, once the land touches you, the wind never blows so cold again. You feel, for the, for, you feel for the land like it's your child. When this happens to you, you can't be bought. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they have the same, they have that in common with each other because his relationship with the with the farm in iowa is the same way and he can't be bought he's not interested in money he doesn't care if he makes money with it his brother-in-law is trying to buy the thing from him you know before he goes into bankruptcy i can't be bought either it's not about the money it's not about the, it's about the connection that you have and it's funny that, that that all three of these characters have the one thing that is very rare and very much needed for this book they all have this ability to say this sounds a little crazy but let's go with it let's see where things go you know he goes with the voice in his head that tells him to build the, the baseball the left field or whatever he goes with that he goes with the voice that says go drive to you know take this strange kidnap a stranger and go to fenway park and jerry goes with it too after that game he says i hear the voice the logical part of me is saying, go into my apartment and don't come out, but I'm going to go with it and see what happens. And he does. In Moonlight Graham, we come to him, you know, and now, and, and the way this ch chapter winds up ending is that, you know, he's sort of like off on his adventure as well. So you've got to kind of, uh, at some point, maybe take your hands off the wheel and see how uh, see how someone else has it designed for you. There's a bigger play here. Oh yeah. Uh, well, here's another one. 
because Ray keeps pushing. Because he needs to know. Obviously, if you're in Ray's position, and now you are, have at your in the past, you you had this bleed over with 1954, 1955, and you need to figure out exactly why this is the next step on the journey and what comes after. And he says, um, you know, um, he, he, you know, asks, did you ever make a play? He says, no, the ball never left the infield. But what makes that half inning so interesting? that you walk around outside my house at night 50 years later. He, Graham is, you know, and, you, and at this point, I really, I'm really i seeing Graham's face. I'm also seeing the Graham from the, uh, from the movie. And I can see that little smirk, and you can see that I can just feel like he, he knows that Ray's getting to something. He wants him to just come out and say it. But he's having a lot of fun with this interaction because obviously um, it's it's very, very odd to be able to pick up on a stranger like this so late at night and take them into your office. And and and, and you know, you, you just don't know who these people are. Then again, Chisholm sounds like a really nice place. But, um, you know, he's he's saying, why is it this this three outs that I spent in the outfield in New York City in 1905? What makes that half inning so interesting to you that you'd walk around my house at night 50 years later? Seems to me maybe it was your footsteps woke me up. I think I came here because your time was so short. I wanted to know how it affected your life, but I can see you've done well. Uh, it would have killed some men to get so close. They'd never do anything else but talk about how close they were. And I love this when he says, if I'd only got to be a doctor for five minutes, now that would have been a tragedy. You have to keep things in perspective. I mean, I love the game, but it's only that, a game. That's just like, damn you, Graham. Damn you, Graham. Oh, man, it's good. Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, the big one. The big one, the the wish. Uh, let me see here. I had goosebumps over here, too. This is the big one. Um, Still, if you could do anything you wanted to do, Ray said... If you can take time and turn it in, uh, turn it in your hands, like rubbing up a new baseball. If you could stop somewhere in time, and in the silence and mystery and calm of that situation, you could have a baseball wish. To stop and let the question just register. Doc smiles wryly, uh, and takes a new piece of paper, holds it between his lips, flicks it forward with his tongue. Are you the kind of man that could give me that wish? I mean, you know he knows. You know he knows he is the man that can give him that wish. This is, this is just the doc. Probably knows who the You've voice come is. Come here for a reason. Oh, Spit yeah. it out. Yes. You know he's like he's like the oracle. We've done the dance. <laughs> yes. Seriously, uh, it's just uh, I got goosebumps at that point. Are you the kind of man that can give me that wish? Now, um, I, I, I'm looking at this. I love this in this over here. He just taught this whole thing on page 151. If I had a wish, says Doc Graham, another spitball thumping on the, uh, on the sofa behind me. Mind you, I said if. It would be to hold a bat in, the, in a Major League Baseball game. It was a pretty fair, I was a pretty fair hitter in the minors. 335, one, remember ladies and gentlemen, 335 means 33% of the time, one third of the time, you're on base. That's that's really great. That that'll get you up to the majors if you're hitting that in in the minors. Um, Three thirty-five one year, and I wasn't bad in practice with the Giants, but I never got to bat. 
I'd have liked the chance to stare down a pitcher, stare him down, and then wink just as he goes into the windup, make him wonder if I knew something he doesn't, if he should change the pitch in mid-delivery. Yes, that is what I wish for, Ray Kinsella. The chance to squint my eyes when the sky is so blue it hurts to look at it, and to feel the tingle that runs up your arms when you connect with the ball dead on. The chance to run the bases, stretch a double into a triple, and flop face first into third base, wrapping my arms around the bag. That's what I wish, Ray Kinsella. Whoever you are, is there enough magic floating around in the night for you to make it come true? My, oh my. How amazing. It's just the joyous. Earlier on there, uh, Charlie, when he he goes back to thinking about Shoeless Joe, when he says that uh, he stood up, Joe stood up and walked a few steps and then look on his face when he had inspired, uh, 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 the look on his face would have inspired soldiers and poets and pinch hitters to perform as never before. He stepped around slowly, letting the cool tickle enter his soles and run up his legs. He then began to dance at first as if he, uh, as if his ears alone could hear the music of an Irish jig. I feel like in this book, he's so perfectly expresses the like almost like joyous immortality that is gained through doing things that you love whether it's baseball writing it's just people are are, have this heavenly level of joyous immortality gained through the things that they love and i i just i'm head over heels over that yeah yeah he's he's he really does a great job of painting this picture you you can you can see it in your in your head and um and yeah he comes to him like a like a magician or a you know a, a, somebody that's offering the impossible and boy i mean it's like doc graham doesn't have any complaints he can't possibly complain he doesn't want to he doesn't feel the need to complain about his situation he's he loves where he is but you know i think maybe he if he was being 100 percent honest he would like to at least have had that chance and it's a it's a real interesting question because you know if you agree to that you you do so recognizing that it could change the timeline of your current self and all the ramifications of that so that's sort of one that you have to kind of think out too are you really offering me the chance to go back and do this? Because if I do, maybe I stay in the big leagues. I know. You know, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I never come here. Maybe this entire life of mine goes away, and that that is is a something you know because it, like you said, he realizes in this moment, this isn't some guy asking him some hypothetical. This is you know, or it would be very, it's very weird in and of itself but he appears to be here for a reason and he appears to care about me and 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 he gets the feeling that this guy can deliver on this very unique promise and that is uh and then he throws his hands up and allows the universe to do its thing well what does the universe do on the next page this is the end of the chapter now and it, 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 it this is one of the there, in the in the book, I mean, in the movie, there is more than a dozen times that the hair stands up on your on your arms, um, and this is another one where now it is the the day after, 
and uh, Ray feels a little bit less jealous about about uh, uh, Jerry Salinger getting his own little message that he could not hear because he just spent this night with Moonlight Graham. Is it's time to go? And he tells Jerry, "You're coming back to Iowa with me." And Jerry's like, "I'm not going anywhere. I'm going. I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm in this too deep now. I'm not going to let this one go." So now they're making their way through Chisholm. They're about to start heading back home. Somewhere in Chisholm, at that moment, a boy, a bat on his right shoulder, a cap pulled down over his eyes, his glove hung on the end of the bat, walks off in the search of summer. The boy is crossing toward a park as we turn onto the highway near Longyear Lake. He appears, armed rays in hitchhiker stance, thumb out with a grin as warm as July, as American as Johnny Cake on his face. I break the car. Jerry opens the door, steps out, pushes the seat forward so the young man can get into the back seat. He tosses his duffel bag ahead of him. A pair of baseball cleats are knotted around the neck of the bat. So he says right there, you know, how far are you guys? Where you have to go? He says, how far are you guys going? And he he says, how far are you going? Um, Iowa, I say, we're going home. He says, well, I'll ride for a long ways. I'm a ball player, this young kid says, as he gets, he's in the car with now Salinger. He pats the front of the uniform for a number of times, like a rookie third base coach, too conscientious about giving signals. I'm looking for a place to play. I heard rumors about the Midwest. They say that every town out there has a team and that they'll find you a job for the daytime so you can play ball at night and on weekends. Thought I'd give it a try, he says, and he smiles again. Well, we know a little about baseball, says Jerry. I'm J.D. Salinger, and this is Ray Kinsella. Ray's quite a character. I'm Archie Graham, the boy replies. Boom. You've got... End scene. End scene. You've got got young Moonlight Graham in the backseat of this car. It's like as soon as he made that wish, he probably was just like... I, I mean, he just materializes, and... The ma- it's just magic. It's inexplicable magic at every turn. Fucking love it. And where's he going? He's going wherever. wherever. I don't I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I heard I'm good things. I heard good things about means. the Midwest. Let's just go there. <laughs> it just just go there. Let's just let's just see where it takes us. Let's just get out there and 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 figure it out. Yeah. Oh, man. That's it. Uh, Jerry, what do you mean when the book gets into the esoterica of baseball, I get lost? Well, what exactly? You just ask a question, Jerry. Like, what, what, what made you get lost at this point? Because this is really, this is really doesn't have anything to do with baseball. I mean, there's the references to cleats and there's references to bats and helmets and gloves and all that stuff. But, I mean, this is just, you, you we had Ray Kinsella go through time to talk to an old athlete who had a cup of coffee as they say a cup of coffee on the, in the big time where they just had this one day in the sun and it never went anywhere else and he's trying to figure out where this guy's the guy the source of this man's pain is if he has any how we can help out and how it, he he ties into this magical journey he's been on and uh, he grants him a wish and all of a sudden we've got a young a young moonlight Graham in the back seat of this this van, like just making his way through the Midwest. Obviously, he's going to go play ball at the park with all the uh, the guys that uh, were his peers in another life, and um, that's just pure magic right there. You don't need to know anything about batting averages to um, to follow along with that. 
But if you had something, let me know. And in the meantime, um, I will. I want to get into uh, Charlie. If there's anything else you want to you put out there, any notes or any highlights you have, go right ahead, and I will take up this this uh, this thread to see what people in the audience were saying. He did. There's a there's a quote in there from Jerry. He says, uh, "Are you a magnet, Ray Kinsella?" <laughs> and I just thought that was funny because he he is kind of like he's attracting something. He's attracting something. It's just kind of hard to know what um, what that is. Uh, it, it's and it's funny that during this this chapter, the evolution of Jerry, where Jerry really goes from being this like Bob humbug recluse writer to I'm JD Salinger. How you know? Nice to meet you. I'm gonna go canvas the neighborhood and and get to the bottom of this mystery. And and he felt like I mean it seemed like he was back. You know, he was back to, to, he was out of his funk. He was on the road. He was in an adventure. He was traveling the country. He was, when he was getting recognized by people, they, they were like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know who you are. Hey, didn't you do this or didn't you do that? Yeah. Cool. All right. And they left him alone after that. So he got more comfortable with his fame again. And he got more comfortable in his role as a writer again by getting out there and, and doing it. So he sort of comes alive in this chapter as well. And, and that's great to see. So, yeah, yes, it, it is true. You can see a total loosening. It's not just a loosening of, of the Jerry JD Salinger character. It's a, an embracing of the journey. It's a, it, it's a forming of a, what you can see a budding friendship with Ray. He's intrigued by this man because what you have on, on Ray's side, uh, when you have on, on his uh, uh, when you what we have on Ray's end with his character is you have a naive childlike hopefulness, very very positive, very childlike in his in his joy of adventure and all that, and then you have the the intellectually grizzled author um, who is obviously has 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 done some. F- fantastic things he has written things that have literally impacted the culture of america i mean jd salinger has impacted american culture with through his writing and uh, and also had to work through things like fame things that make him jaded and actually um actually have have have, have, you know put a a need for him to loosen up here so they're all going on their on their own journeys and you can see now that jd salinger is just hey i'm I'm open. I, I, he's just totally opening up now. I'm it's, in. Whatever. Let's yep. let's just. I'm 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 down with the with the trip. Um, you know. in, in the chat room, Jerry says I can't visualize the scene where he talks about pinch hitters or whatever other technical things that come up. Well, a pinch hitter. Let me just say this: a pinch hitter is somebody who is on the bench. So you are just you're you're on the sideline, and for one reason or another, the coach says. You're pitching. You're you're hitting for this guy. You take one guy out of a lineup, one guy off the field, and you say, "Here, here, go ahead. You're hitting in a pinch. That's it. You're just a a substitute hitter." Now, as far as who Archie Graham is, Archie Graham is Moonlight Graham. That's his. Or that that that's Archie Graham. He's he he is the young. We have somehow 
the magic has manifested young Archie Graham as he was in 1905, a young kid again. It's almost as if Ray had granted, granted him his wish and he showed up in his young form to jump into the back seat and hitch a ride to Iowa. So Archie is, um, no, no, it, uh, I'm guessing that Archie is a baseball equivalent of Kenny Dalglish or Henrik Larson, but those names probably don't have significance to you, and I'm like that with these baseball legends. Archie is not a legend. That's the whole thing. He spent one day on the team. He didn't accomplish it. He didn't even have a time at, at the plate. He, didn't, he never even had a at-bat. That's the whole point here. That's why he's saying, you know, one day, or, or, well, that's why he says, you know, how did you take being so close to your dream and having it never materialize? So Archie is, is not a historically significant character in baseball at all. He's just a, he's just created for this book, to be honest. But um, one, one thing I will say is that in, with regard to baseball, there is, there is an emphasis on more so than any other sport there's an emphasis on making it from the minor leagues into the major leagues it is a huge deal once you do that once you cross that barrier you're like a made man and there are so many minor league players and there's so many different levels of it that they sort of you know there's rookie ball and single a and double a and you go up this chain and if you are lucky and as you you do it gets narrower and narrower and the guys get older and older and towards the and some of them all you know a lot of them have to deal with the recognition that their career they may never get there and it's a big and source of anxiety for all minor league players it is this dream of making it and this anxiety of what if it doesn't happen to me then i have then i've i've lost out on this six years when I could be working or I could have gone to school or I could have done whatever. So there's this, so there's always like a real buildup. So for a guy to get the opportunity to come up to the big leagues and, and he's finally going to be there, it's super important to get an at bat. It just means that you go into the record books for something and they can never take that away from you. And to get so close to that, and it not happen where you never you don't get that at bat it's like the culmination of just years of a buildup yeah for that to go away and 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 it's and so it so that i would say if you don't know if you're not a baseball fan you don't you maybe don't recognize how very important that is to a player it is validation of them that can never be taken away as a say i made it to the major leagues and for him to fall short of the the hitting component of that, it just has to feel like a little bit great that I got there, but a little unfulfilled. And I, and and so I think when Ray's questioning him, he's asking him like, "You don't even feel like a little bit like frustrated yeah. about that? You know, you were so close. That's why because he because I just just for the for the uh, listener in the chat." It's just such a huge buildup for these when, guys. When Ray is Ray's, he that's why the questioning again. Yeah, he, he's he's asking these questions because he, Ray is still trying to figure out the ultimate purpose of this magical journey he's on. He's been sent from one person to another, from one baseball stadium to another, just following this voice and trying to figure out 
who's, you know, who he's trying to make whole again. And he's trying to figure out, okay, maybe it's this Archibald Graham. I mean, here he is. Here's a young kid. He came up with, he finally got to the big leagues. He had one, he had one, you know, five minute period of time in the field at the major league level. He finally got to the big show, but he never even had an at bat. He never stepped to the plate and swung the bat in a major league game before his career was just done. He was, uh, he never, he, he wasn't called back up. I mean, the next season, he just, he was off and he was uh, collecting dust. And he's trying to wonder, okay, maybe this is the guy that I have to help out to get him that one at bat. But when he, when he meets him in Chisholm, he realizes that he's talking with a thoroughly satisfied man, a man who's totally satisfied with his life. Who, who believes that the greatest the greatest thing in the in the world was to become a doctor and his beautiful wife and 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 being of service to the small town in Minnesota and the game being just that a game and uh, so so but still there's a reason why he's there so this may not be the man that Ray came to fix per se but this is a man that is going to be very integral to the rest of the journey and, and you know uh I know Charlie. You you must have seen this. This guy Drew Maggie, or Magi Maggi. What was he? The the guy in uh, he he made his debut in Phil in uh, uh, Pittsburgh this year. He's thirty three years old rookie. He spent thirteen years in the minor leagues, and he finally got called up. Did you see his ovation? No, but good for him, man. Oh my God! Listen to that the, is here. crazy. I, I describe this is from earlier on in the spring. This guy spent thirteen years in the minor leagues. He's 33 years old, making his debut, and uh, let me put you on screen with me. Just look, look, gets a great. I don't know if he he might have grounded out. I don't know if he's if he got sent back down or whatever. But again, he is for the rest of his life. He met, he got there. He was a big he leaguer. He won. Yeah. That's winning. If exactly. you get there, you win. He he got the major league minimum minimum pay for at least one day. Listen to this this uh, this ovation. Introducing Drew Maggi. Maggi. Give him his, Andrew McCutcheon making his major league debut. Every, everybody's on their feet. It's not a huge crowd, but everybody on their feet. They know what this means. And, and he just it, it takes a moment to, to thank the crowd. It's an eight-one game, so there's. Uh, but you know that's you got to soak that up. You have to so so they allowed him to soak it up, and that's uh, it's a great thing. It really is. Now, I want to get to some of these, um, some of these responses because we're 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 making good on time here. That I want to get a. We're gonna have to split this last chapter in two, and I think I know where we can do it, but we'll see. All right, so okay. Jalen Weddings says, The scene where Ray meets Moonlight Graham and Graham explaining how he got the nickname Moonlight is one of the most mesmerizing pieces of literature I've ever read. I felt like I, too, had appeared in 1955 to listen to his tale. Anyone that has ever sat down with an old-timer and just listened can definitely relate to that scene. There was uh, there once was an older gentleman named Don that would sit in my local American Legion and rattle on for hours. He was fairly tall and very thin, had a big bushy white eyebrows and similar mustache, always had a fancy cane. He would routinely have funny fishing and hunting stories. He used to tell people once that he caught a bluegill. 
that was so big that he could take a picture of it, and the Polaroid weighed six pounds. He, he must have been close to 98 when he finally passed. His wife was about 20 years younger than him. She's still alive, by the way. He never passed up a chance to brag about how he robbed the cradle when, he, uh, when she was about 75 uh, when they got married. Uh, let me see. Uh, even though she was about 75 when he got married, I'm glad I took the time to listen to his stories, albeit half of them were over-exaggerated and far from believable. Still, they live on. Well, uh, that reminds me of Big Fish, that movie Big Fish. That's a, sometimes the storytellers, you just don't know how tall, how many of those tall tales actually are true in some way, but God bless him. God bless him. Um, Gal. Gal2221 says, Chapter 3 contains some of the more thought-provoking statements by Ray and Doc Moonlight Graham. On page 144, Ray musing, I wonder if there are soft-spoken voices who deliver assignments to all of us at various times. And if my problem is one of a hearing too... Ac- uh, if, if my problem is one of hearing too acutely, it is nice to think that I have company, that others dance to the muted music I hear. Today... Uh, gal says we do let ourselves hear those soft spoken voices delivering assignments to us do we i think that we do and i think that there are other voices out there that try to drown out the soft spoken voice the media the media tries to drown out uh the, the connection we have with our conscience and our our inner dialogue that i think is always a very good way of of guiding us around i think the 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 intelligence we have just in our gut that intuition uh is, is something that is immortal in its own in its own right but it's very easy to blot it out you know um uh charlie anything else you want to say you just jump right in there's more things over here page 146 doc graham answering ray about brushing against fame says hardly anybody recognizes the most significant moments of their lives at the time that they happen uh it's interesting that he would say that since the life he had ended up was more significant in terms of impacting others lives and i think Charlie, you might agree that uh, he comes to really stating that. He believes that his life outside of baseball was the greater gift, um, and and he was very happy with it. Yeah, he didn't seem to have any complaints. He, he, he lived a life that he was proud of. And, and because of that, that's the thing that confused Ray the most, because Ray probably thought he was going to meet some broken down guy who just never got it. He just got so close and it just destroyed him. And I'm going to drag this broken down guy and fix him somehow. And he meets a guy that's it sees that, hey, if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have all this abundance in my life. And how can I how can I regret that, you know, when I've got this? And so he goes, well, guy, well, yeah, I mean, all right, well, I'm here to meet this guy, but it can't be because he's feeling deficient somehow. He seems so put together, but there's that little slice. It would be kind of nice. I'd be lying if I didn't say it would be nice to get at least one at bat. I mean, I feel good about where I am, but since you're offering. If 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 that baseball wish, okay. Yes, I want to get that at bat, and I want to stretch that double into a triple. I want to do it, and I, I tell you, I cannot wait. I know that we that uh, we have two more weeks. I can't wait until the fifth, the fifth week on that Sunday, or maybe after the the two weeks from now when we finish the book. That what what day is that going to be? Um, 
let me see here. What day is that going to be? So we have the 15th is a Thursday. The 22nd is when we would finish it. So it would be June 25th. It's a, a Sunday night. I would love to have everybody who's been reading this book to have Sunday night at maybe 9.30 p.m. Eastern time open to all just watch this movie together because it's going to be uh, it's going to be good. Jerry, and you know what? Hats off. I, I have to just say this again. Hats off to Jerry in the chat room. Jerry Coogan from from uh, Scotland, because I, you know, I, I this I think this is one of the more the most important reads that we have done in in book club. And I'm really just so happy that Jerry out there in Scotland, who knows nothing about this, is a little bit culturally detached from the significance of these things and the terms and all that. Thank you, Jerry, just for for going for the ride with us. I, I really appreciate it. Because um, a lot of people didn't do that, and I'm hoping that over time, when these uh, these sessions are available on demand, people in the future go and read the book on their own terms and and enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you for for really for sticking it out with us, man. Um, Vesper says, even though Jerry Salinger has gone on the adventure with Ray, he still can't shake his pessimism and skepticism about society. Quote. It is a sad time when the world won't listen to stories about good men. It's one of the reasons I don't publish anymore. That's what you brought up, um, Charlie. Yeah. So this is so true when you consider how the fourth estate tells us only bad things qualify as news, and they throw in a happy story every now and then, like throwing a dog a bone. As a reader, I'm pulling for Ray to accomplish his goal to ease Salinger's pain once he gets him to Iowa. But P.S., what is a comebacker? Oh, well, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Charlie. A comebacker is when the uh, the batter hits the ball and it just doesn't go very far. It, it just kind of rolls right back to the to the pitcher. Yeah. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. It, it it actually could come back at 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 a oh yeah decent velocity. Oh, it but, can be. It can be. It's <laughs> when it, it's like when the pitcher throws it and then the ball comes right back at the pitcher. Right, and it could be pretty dangerous too. I mean. If you're, it's good. It if you're if you're a pitcher, you hope that it's a dribbling comeback. Like you, you know, hope you, it's that type. You swing yeah. you yeah. swing the bat and you kind of just chop it into the ground and it dribbles back to you. But uh, you go into YouTube and type in baseball comebacker compilation, you're going to see some things that'll make your heart stop. And you're not even the one throwing the ball. All of a sudden, uh, it's you throw the ball at somebody and it's fired back at you off the end of a bat at 110 miles an hour, and you barely have time to react. Um, and sometimes the worst happens, but, um, but as far as that, as the reader, I'm pulling for Ray to accomplish his goal to ease Salinger's pain. Do you think Charlie, that it is Salinger's pain that needs to be eased? Or is there more than one person's pain that needs to be eased? I'm not, I'm not so sure. Every, isn't it everybody's pain? I guess everybody's getting medicated from this collective pain. Like everybody's got something that they feel like they're missing and they go and they've agreed to go on some, some adventure and trust in, in the process for some unfulfilled part of them. I think that's part of being older is that you get to a point where you have enough time to look back on everything and you go and say, you know, and and have these regrets. So I don't know. It seems like sound. I mean, 
everybody's going through a bit of a transformation here. Yeah. And everybody's got a little bit of different pain uh, to be eased. You know, uh, Jerry's got to get over. He's very cynical and, uh, and and it doesn't want to write anymore, you know, because of because they don't want to hear the stories he writes. Yeah. And and Moonlight Graham is his pain is that he was so close, you know, and 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 and, and if only, you know, just if things had gone a little differently, maybe I wouldn't feel this one little thing. But other than that, the world's great and my life is great. You know, so so everybody's got a little bit of pain uh ray's got financial pain he's kind of he's kind of running from that if we're being honest well well, you know he's kind of running from that speaking of that yeah and we know annie says hey listen you know mark is here again he wants us to sell well don't do it just don't worry we're not going to over the target uh, throws in something that none of us have, have brought up yet the whole backstory about the the oldest living chicago cub that that's that's where the that's who they bought the farmhouse from Eddie Sissons, yes. Yeah, Sissons. in his dreams, the oldest living Cub, but what difference does the Cubs make because I'm a White Sox fan? So he's trying to figure that out, too. Like, what, why? I could understand if he was, for, he was from the Chicago White, for those that don't know, there's two baseball teams in Chicago. One's the Chicago White Sox, one's the Chicago Cubs. Ray happens to be a huge fan of the Chicago White Sox, but this guy this old player was a major league baseball player in Chicago, but just with the other team, the Cubs. So he's thinking, why would I even know anything about or care about this guy? Cause he's not my team. He's the other, he's the other team, yeah. it, which isn't really the enemy, but they're just, you're either in one camp or the other usually in Chicago. Well, you know what? I, I think that in this last giant chapter, I think there's two, technically two chapters, but the last chapter is like the last three pages. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of things tied up. And the Eddie Sisson story, that's something that is not included in the movie. Um, So I'm really curious as to how it's going to end up. Does he pass away? Uh, in the nursing home, you know, from from now until the end of the story, and all of a sudden he comes walking out of the corn, and he gets to play again. Who knows? You know, it maybe can... he's the umpire for all we know. Yeah, you know, I mean, like <laughs> you never know. This is this is great, but but it they're leaving it out there. There's these there's multiple storylines developing all at the same time. Everybody's got a different thing that they're looking to get to this proverbial cornfield to alleviate for them. And it's, it's just, it's just been a lot of fun to do this with you, Frank. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Oh, dude, dude. I I, listen. Hey, I, I followed the voice in my head. That's that's it. I followed the voice (laughs) in my head for this one. I said, we are doing Shoeless Joe. That's just DARPA. Yeah. That's the, that's the voice, the brain, the voice, the skull technology. Yeah. They're just messing with you. (laughs) So he eased Charlie's pain. (laughs) <laughs> Bring him on. Read the book with Charlie. That's what I heard the whole time. Um, we there's a a few more in there. I'll I'll read a little uh, here. Um, there's one from Sharon and NJSF. NJSF has a couple of really good ones. And and in fact, NJSF on this thread is responding to and quoting people like Sharon and like Dyslexic Angel and Gal 2021. Um, I really hope everybody goes on to this thread and, and, and jumps in there because um, I think this we're going to end here tonight. I would say this, this. We have two more weeks ahead of us. 
And I want this to be, I don't want this to be too dense where we can't talk detail. That's why I, I like breaking it up uh, for a book this big. I like breaking it up 50 pages at a time so that we could, we could do it in four or five weeks and, and have a nice pace. I have, I have a suggestion. We're at 157. It's the beginning of mm-hmm. chapter four. And there is a, around 50 pages in, on page 206, there is a, a little segment break. You see that? On page 206, it says, yes. the, next, the next, yes. after, ex, next afternoon, I go into Iowa City. Okay? Yes. I, I figure, let's, I mean, it, it may be a yep. real tease. Who knows at that point? At that point, it may be such a tease to stop right there. I don't know what to do, Charlie. That's... that's- Okay. Perfect then. All right. Even if it is a tease, that's that makes it even better. Two oh six. Two oh six. That's where we're stopping. So we're going from one fifty seven to two oh six, and we will reconvene here next Thursday at eight thirty. Charlie Robinson of Macroaggressions Podcast. Um, anything you want to leave us with, Charlie? Or are you all good? I'm all good. You can, uh, if you want to check out my show this Sunday, I've got a guy named Christian Yordanov on, who's a, a friend of mine who's been on a few times talking about a a new uh, cleanse uh, program that he has for your liver, a liver detox program, which is super fascinating. And he showed me the program, and it's it's worth it for people that are health conscious that are looking to get out of that. So you can check that out. That'll be out this Sunday. Next Sunday, I've got Whitney Webb coming back on to, uh, we talk about Eric Prince. We talk about, uh, the United nations. It's a really good one. So you can check it out there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter at macroaggression, that's where I argue with the robots and stupid. Me too. Me too. I I don't know why I do it anymore, (laughs) but I just, I, I I have, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, Roger rabbit in the uh, shaving a haircut trick. You just, I, I just, <laughs> just bu- bust, for I just keep busting through the door and it's like, <laughs> fucker. Um, you know, it's that, it, that's awesome, man. Um, I can, I have to watch the Whitney, uh, the Whitney Webb thing. And maybe one day you can get me an introduction to her because I have, oh, I've sure. been, I've been trying so like with in vain to get through to her. Uh, but I, I, I go through like unlimited hangout and stuff like that. Cause I don't have any contact and. Maybe one day. Anyway, I, 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 I'll I'll talk to her. Alrighty, brother. Yeah, she she's super cool. We we, I've been uh, appreciative of her work and her support over over the years, and 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 yeah, and her books are crazy. Absolutely, really. absolutely, they are crazy. Um, maybe we can actually have a a, a like a, a panel call one day. You, me, and her. That would be great. A lot of fun because we got to get you back on quite frankly sometime soon too. But for tonight, thank you again for the company. My, uh, my friend has been, it's been great uh, riding with you like this and, and uh, we'll talk off air. Sounds good. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much for all of the good company.